Chapter Sixteen of Undine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pete Williams. Undine by Friedrich de la Motte Fouquet. Translated by F. E. Bunnett. Chapter Sixteen. How it fared further with Huldbrand. Shall we say it is well or ill, that our sorrow is of such short duration? I mean that deep sorrow which affects the very wellspring of our life, which becomes so one with the lost objects of our love that they are no longer lost, and which enshrines their image as a sacred treasure, until that final goal is reached which they have reached before us. It is true that many men really maintain these sacred memories, but their feeling is no longer that of the first deep grief. Other and new images have thronged between. We learn at length the transitoriness of all earthly things, even to our grief, and therefore I must say, alas, that our sorrow should be of such short duration. The Lord of Ringstetten experienced this, whether for his good we shall hear in the sequel to this history. At first he could do nothing but weep, and that as bitterly as the poor gentle Undine had wept when he had torn from her hand that brilliant ornament with which she had wished to set everything to rights. And then he would stretch out his hand as she had done, and would weep again like her. He cherished the secret hope that he might at length dissolve in tears, and has not a similar hope passed before the mind of many a one of us with painful pleasure in moments of great affliction? Bertelda wept also, and they lived a long while quietly together at Castle Ringstetten, cherishing Undine's memory, and almost wholly forgetful of their former attachment to each other. And therefore the good Undine often visited Huldbrand in his dreams, caressing him tenderly and kindly, and then going away, weeping silently, so that when he awoke he often scarcely knew why his cheeks were so wet, whether they had been bathed with her tears, or merely his own. These dream visions became, however, less frequent as time passed on, and the grief of the night was less acute. Still he would probably have cherished no other wish than thus to think calmly of Undine, and to talk of her, had not the old fisherman appeared one day unexpectedly at the castle, and sternly insisted on Bertalda's returning with him as his child. The news of Undine's disappearance had reached him, and he had determined on no longer allowing Bertalda to reside at the castle with the widowed knight. For, said he, whether my daughter love me or no, I do not care to know, but her honor is at stake, and where that is concerned nothing else is to be thought of. This idea of the old fisherman's, and the solitude which threatened to overwhelm the knight in all the halls and galleries of the desolate castle after Bertelda's departure, brought out the feelings that had slumbered till now, and which had been wholly forgotten in his sorrow for Undine, namely Huldbrand's affection for the beautiful Bertelda. The fisherman had many objections to raise against the proposed marriage. Undine had been very dear to the old fisherman, and he felt that no one really knew for certain whether the dear lost one were actually dead, and if her body were truly lying cold and stiff at the bottom of the Danube, or had floated away with the current into the ocean, 
Even then Bertalda was in some measure to blame for her death, and it was unfitting for her to step into the place of the poor supplanted one. Yet the fisherman had a strong regard for the knight also, and the entreaties of his daughter, who had become much more gentle and submissive, and her tears for Undine turned the scale. And he must at length have given his consent, for he remained at the castle without objection, and a messenger was dispatched to Father Heilman, who had united Undine and Huldbrand in happy days gone by, to bring him to the castle for the second nuptials of the night. The holy man, however, had scarcely read the letter from the knight of Ringstetten than he set out on his journey to the castle, with far greater expedition than even the messenger had used in going to him. Whenever his breath failed in his rapid progress, or his aged limbs ached with weariness, he would say to himself, Perhaps the evil may yet be prevented. Fail not, my tottering frame, till you have reached the goal. And with renewed power he would then press forward and go on and on, without rest or repose, until late one evening he entered the shady courtyard of Castle Ringstetten. The betrothed pair were sitting side by side, under the trees, and the old fisherman was near them, absorbed in thought. The moment they recognized Father Heilman they sprang up and pressed round him with warm welcome. But he, without making much reply, begged Huldbrand to go with him into the castle. And when the latter looked astonished and hesitated to obey the grave summons, the reverend father said to him, "'Why should I make any delay in wishing to speak to you in private, Herr von Ringstetten? "'What I have to say concerns Bertalda and the fisherman as much as yourself, "'and what a man has to hear he may prefer to hear as soon as possible. "'Are you then so perfectly certain, Knight Huldbrand, that your first wife is really dead? "'It scarcely seems so to me.' I will not indeed say anything of the mysterious condition in which she may be existing, and I know to nothing of it with certainty. But she was a pious and faithful wife, that is beyond all doubt, and for a fortnight past she has stood at my bedside at night in my dreams, wringing her tender hands in anguish, and sighing out, Oh, prevent him, good father! I am still living! Oh, save his life! Save his soul! I did not understand what this nightly vision signified, when presently your messenger came and I hurried thither, not to unite, but to separate what ought not to be joined together. Leave her, Huldbrand, leave him, Bertalda. He yet belongs to another, and do you not see grief for his lost wife, still written on his pale cheek? No bridegroom looks thus, and a voice tells me that if you do not leave him, you will never be happy. The three listeners felt in their innermost heart that Father Heilman spoke the truth, but they would not believe it. Even the old fisherman was now so infatuated that he thought it could not be otherwise than they had settled it in their discussions during the last few days. They therefore all opposed the warnings of the priest with a wild and gloomy rashness, until at length the Holy Father quitted the castle with a sad heart, refusing to accept even for a single night the shelter offered, or to enjoy the refreshments brought him. Huldbrand, however, persuaded himself that the priest was full of whims and fancies, and with dawn of day he sent for a father from the nearest monastery, who, without hesitation, 
promised to perform the ceremony in a few days. End of chapter 16 Recording by Pete Williams, Pittsburgh, PA